Hello. Hi. Hi. Awesome. It worked. Yay. (laughs) So for anyone who doesn't know what's going on, an interview with Alita McDaniel in Personally Borderline is taking place right now. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm pretty good. So I've been listening to your station for a couple weeks now. And I understand, well, you seem to be becoming a jack-of-all-trades because you were learning how to vinyl and run events. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> right. at the core of it, you're a life coach. Am I correct? That is correct. Already. And just, I just, tell us about some of your experiences because, for example, for me, um, I know life coaches exist, but it's kind of like, mm-hmm. how do you get into that field um, how do you turn it into a job? Just mm. generally. Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, you know, I feel like um, I need to give kind of story and how I became a life coach because it wasn't ever something that I had planned on doing. Um, and even and even when I became a life coach, it still was it was so in the ether that I, I couldn't quite define myself as a life coach. It just it was just weird. Um, so I actually battled for about 20 years with obesity, uh, chronic illness, fibromyalgia, Epstein-Barr, chronic bronchitis, and depression. And the third diagnosis that I got from a doctor to go on Prozac was like my wake-up call. Uh, it really gave me like some eye-opening kind of like smack in the face, like something's got to change. And so I never took the meds because I, I believed that I could find a way with nutrition and I was battling with obesity for all of that time as well. So there was all these things that, you know, that kind of led back to, you know, me not feeling comfortable in my own skin. And so I decided that, you know, I, I had a, I had a, I was addicted to food. So I ended up going to culinary school. I went to culinary school in the California Culinary Academy of San Francisco. And when I was there, it was when I kind of realized that I wanted to go out and I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people find their health. I wanted to help them resolve health issues without medications, without the use of doctors, and find a way to naturally um, and emotionally shift uh, so that they could actually create optimal health in their body. And so when I was in culinary school, I thought, you know, if I want to go help people do this and I want to teach them how to eat better, I have to walk the talk. I can't just go out and preach and be one of those do as I say, not as I do people. Yeah. after two and, two and a half years of being in the industry, uh, I had lost my weight. I started, you know, really just digging into, and I've been studying spirituality for most of my deep into it for a few years. And about two and a half years into it, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just curious. I just want to go out and see what it would take to be a personal trainer because now I've lost 80 pounds. Now I've conquered my illnesses, and I want to go out and I want I want that hands-on. And... I got, I literally got hired at Gold's Gym, you know, with my before and after pictures, and they said, we will give you on-the-job on training. If you could accomplish this on your own, like, we want you to work for us. And so while I was there, I started realizing that when you're, when you're working with somebody who's looking at losing weight, you're not just dealing with the fitness. You're not just dealing with the food, but you're dealing with the emotional trauma that created the weight to begin with. Because weight, weight gain and obesity is really an emotional thing. And so I was training my clients, but I was training them while also giving them life advice and helping them work through their emotions the way I had worked through mine. And after about eight years of being a personal trainer, 
I decided to leave that, that work full time and to dig more into just the hands-on coaching specifically, which was emotional relationships, spirituality. And, um, and so I've been doing that more full-time ever since. I still do fitness coaching just because now I co-own a gym. Um, but that's, uh, that's essentially where it started was it came kind of like as a, a symptomatic kind of back-end absolute necessity in order for my clients to see long-lasting results. Okay. Well, look at that. Um, it's really nice <laughs> hearing all these people on the app and, like, everyone's goal or a lot of the people that I've been talking to lately – their goal has just been to help people. It's just nice to know. Like, you know, I got into this thing because I wanted to help people, and I turned it into a job, and I'm helping people every day. So yeah. I find it really admirable, and I just, like, thank you for that on behalf of just society for, you know, being super altruistic in kind of your goals and your ambitions. Totally. Thank and, you. I, I mean, to <laughs> me, like, it, to be completely honest, it's kind of funny. Like, I, I think of it as a very selfish, a very selfish career because – when I wake up in the morning, I, I think about, you know, I, I'm blessed with these clients who get excited to see me. So I get to, I get to go to my sessions, whether it be by phone or in person, I get to go to these sessions and I get to get hugs. That makes me happy. So like I'm, I'm, I'm self-fulfilling my, my own needs. Right. And then on top of that, my belief system is that if I give a client advice, I will go back and I'll take the advice for myself. I don't believe that, you know, if I'm giving a piece of advice that I'm just giving it and there's no need to, like, go back and go, okay, so let me reflect on my life and am I really truly living out this advice that I'm giving because I want to make sure that when I come back to that session, I'm a better person than when I was there the, the last time I met with them because I expect them to change. I would expect the same of myself. So, for every bit of advice that I'm giving to my clients that, you know, I might give them one or two pieces of guidance in each session, I get like 10 to 15 at the end of the day when I'm done. So I feel like they're mirroring back to me even things that I can change and I can calibrate in my life. So I kind of see it like it's a very selfish thing because as, you know, I'm, I'm pushing myself to challenge so I can be better for them and I get to benefit from the awesomeness in the process, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's like as you help people, you can kind of you can help yourself in many ways, but one of the ways is just when you come up with yeah. come up with suggestions for other people, you can look back and think, "Hey, maybe I can also try this myself and see how it works mm-hmm. for me." Have you ever totally. encountered someone with like an issue that hit too close to home or something that, you know, you were too invested in and maybe you had to I don't know, like cut contact or reference them somewhere else? Um, it's a rare occasion that I will cut contact based on something that hits too close to home. Uh, as many and as many years as I've been doing this work, I love those types of clients that hit too close to home because those will force me to a be fully present for my client without letting my ego get in the way, mm-hmm. and b it challenges me to be better not just for that client but for somebody else. So I like taking the hard cases. Um, mm-hmm. When, but on the flip side, though, I have fired clients. So if I have a client who doesn't necessarily step up to the plate and follow through with their commitments, uh, then I will basically say, like, look, I, I, 
would so appreciate, you know, you either stepping up to the plate or I'm going to give you back your money because this relationship is not working. Um, and I, and if I'm not the type of coach or if I'm not the caliber of coach or I'm not the right person uh, to help you get out of your, your funk and I can't depend on you to hold up your end of the bargain, then maybe you need to see somebody else. Um, that's the only time that I've ever really cut ties with people for the most part. But other than that, like I love the good challenges because if something hits home for me and it, and it challenges me to see the world from a different perspective or it forces me to go out and do a ton of research to be better so I can help that person get out of it, then I'm all for it. Awesome. And then if you have to research, you can be prepared for anyone else who comes with kind of the same issues or the same questions or conflicts. Exactly, and exactly. I know you were saying that you also battled with depression. I say battled in past tense. Would you say that mm-hmm. it's something that you still are working through or something that you you think that you've worked through and you've kind of moved forward from? I've totally moved forward from it. Um, it was, it was one of the things that when I look back on the course of my life, I was stuck in victim consciousness. Um, Mm -hmm. and depression for me was looking at the world, thinking that the world was happening to me. Mm -hmm. And so I had, you know, I was molested as a, as a young child, very young child, um, Mm -hmm. by older kids. And I had a father who was an addict, um, and the, the turn of events and the series of events that happened prior to me turning six were very monumental in making me feel like I couldn't trust people, the world was out to get me, and that I was underprivileged. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, during the course of my teens and very early 20s, because I, I started breaking the pattern around 21, 22 when I went to culinary school, um, during the course of, you know, those early, those early years, uh, I just, I really felt like, like life sucked. I was battling with, um, around the age of 10, I started developing clairvoyance and mediumship skills. And that was really kind of freaky for me because I started communicating with spirits. I started seeing things and, I had nobody to talk to about it. I didn't understand what was happening. I was channeling things that, that didn't make sense. And mm-hmm. all, of, all of those things compiled onto the next. I really just felt like this freak. And so it, it took me getting out of that comfort zone, moving to San Francisco. I always say that the trannies taught me how to be a woman because I hung out with trannies, with trannies when I was up in San Francisco, and they helped me to feel like, you know what, being different doesn't it's not a curse being something yeah. other than what society you know you know deems you to be, to be or deems that you should be um, is actually a blessing in disguise and the more I started uh, dealing and dealing with my emotions uh, I started realizing I was identifying with the emotions so instead of looking at depression as an experience I was going through uh, an imbalance that my brain was having um, or an imbalance a dis-ease of my emotions um, I started look at, looking at it as a gift that I was experiencing and that it was, it was being gifted to me so I could better clarify what I wanted to experience in life. I started learning about law of attraction and quantum physics and started realizing that this life is based on my creation. It's based on my beliefs. And, you know, the more I continued to feel like I was a victim, the more the world around me validated all those points. So if there's ever a point where I feel any sort of, like, twinge of depression coming on it's me forgetting that I'm creating my reality okay 
That's a really good answer. I think a lot of (laughs) depression is difficult because regardless of whether it starts as an emotion or it starts as a chemical imbalance, it's like a feedback loop, especially if it starts as just kind of like your brain playing tricks, then you feel down. Uh So then your brain feeds on that and it gives you more down chemicals and then you feel even more down and it's hard to dig yourself out of that hole. More so yes. than I think yeah. a lot of other emotions, because you can kind of sit and wallow in that sadness, and then your brain awards you, and you're just you're just sitting in it, and you can do it for years. So I'm glad that well, what even what right? you're saying, what you're saying right now, what you're saying right now, I feel like people need to really, we need to really emphasize that you said reward, because yeah. what what most people don't realize is that our bodies are physiologically addicted to emotions on a chemical level when we experience an emotion the brain actually produces chemicals these peptides these little proteins that go into our body and our cells receive these and get a rush of that emotion yeah. and what i tell my clients a lot is that you have to understand when you're looking to make a change you have programmed over time systematically your cells to receive this emotion so much so that they have stopped programming themselves to receive the emotions of bliss and joy and nutrients and nourishment. And your entire body programming has become physiologically addicted to this emotion. So it cannot be like, you know, going from zero to hero. You have to, you have to recommit every single day to, to recalculating every single one of your thoughts and, and programming, reprogramming all of the software that's in your brain or, or you're going to be stuck. And, and the brain is constantly rewarding you for that addiction. It's really kind of, kind of creepy like that. That's 100% true. And I've had this conversation in, um, in kind of different contexts with a couple of different people. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, your brain is rewarding you, whether it's a positive emotion as we, as we would like to label it or a negative emotion as we would like to label it, your body is just giving you feedback on what you're giving it to go off of. Um, mm-hmm. but what a lot of people also don't uh, realize too is that changing your inner dialogue and changing that the feedback system that your body is currently programmed on is work just like anything else and it's like it can be tiring it can be distracting it can be a lot to handle it's not about mm-hmm. it's not about just saying you know i'm happy once and then your brain's like oh guess we're happy now all the serotonin <laughs> all the dopamine let's do it no yeah. like people mm-hmm. literally have to go months and years looking in the mirror repeating self-affirmations catching themselves when they're they're being negative in their head or being negative out loud um just mm-hmm. like anything, if anything, more yeah. than anything, changing your habits, mm-hmm. especially your emotional habits, because it's in your head. So sometimes it can be a knee-jerk reaction to think something, especially thinking something negative or um, self-deprecating. It takes time, mm-hmm. and people realize that it's difficult, and they stop, and then they keep themselves kind of in a in a lower state than they really need to be. Yeah. So true. It's so true. And, I mean... I think that the challenge that comes too is that we'll we'll work through, say, a particular point in time, and we'll go through the process, we'll reprogram the patterning, and maybe, you know, five, six years down the road, all of a sudden, a new layer peels off of that thing that we thought we resolved. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. we start feeling these emotions that we thought we had worked through already, and we're like, wait, where, does, where is that coming from? 
and I, you know, I always tell my clients, like, you know, it's, it's okay for these layers to peel back because that's just your brain saying, look, you've worked through all these things around it, and your body is just saying, like, this particular thing is no longer, it's no longer resonating with everything else that you've changed. So it's calling you forward to say, let's review this little piece. Let's, let's clear it out so we can make room for something better to come in that's more in alignment with all the changes that you've currently made. So it's not a bad thing that those things come to the surface, and it's not a bad thing that those layers continue to peel back so much as it is. It's a blessing that those things are surfacing because the more we can face them, the more we can clear them, the better we are, the better we can show up in life, and the happier we are overall. I completely agree, and I think a really positive way to look at it, too, is that the brain is a machine programmed to do a lot of things, and sometimes the programming goes off kilter, and that's why you have different disorders and whatnot. But one thing that the brain is fairly good at doing for most people is protecting us. So a lot of people might have a flashback or a memory or a feeling about something that happened that they, they repressed, or they might have a new feeling or something that they think that they've worked through. They might have a new feeling attributed to it, or it might come back up, like you were saying, come back up to the surface. And instead Mm -hmm. of looking at it as though to say, I thought that I've moved past this. I thought that I've worked through this and now I'm back at square one. Oh my gosh, I'm such a failure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It might be just more constructive to look at that experience and say, all right, I'm getting a new piece of information about this trauma I experienced 10 years ago. Or, oh, I'm looking at this trauma from a new angle and I'm feeling new weird emotions about it. But that means that Mm -hmm. your brain is coming to a point where it feels like it can release this information because it thinks that you can handle it and you can work through it. It's really your body telling you you're ready, passing you the torch, saying here's the next thing that we want to work through. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I also wanted to go back and just use use specific. So obviously there was a journey um, for you to get to this point, and you're talking about doctors and medication. So when you were at your... I don't want to say your worst point, but when you were at a point where you were looking at different ways to get help and looking at different solutions, had you been in therapy? Yeah, I had been to therapists before, mm-hmm. but they didn't and help. What, they didn't help you. What was that experience kind of like? It or was more, was- um, the, well, the, the, term, the term is revivification. Um, and so what the therapists were trying to do with me is to, con- like, constantly take me back to the time when I felt the trauma and constantly Mm -hmm. review all of the emotions. So it was like every single time we would get together, we would talk about how sad I felt and how, you know, and, and what happened. And it's like, well, yeah, but I can talk to you about what happened, but if you're not helping me to change my mindset about where I need to go, then at what point am, am I ever going to get out of this funk? Um, and yeah. so that was, that, that was the struggle that I was having was that every single time I would get, get together with any of the therapists, I would get the exact same thing. So, um, so in, in that regard, I mean, you know, it, it basically, you know, all my therapists try to put me on Prozac also. So it, it was kind of, kind of like a dead end, unfortunately. Yeah. It was a and lot I, of like, I mean, every it doesn't, one. Oh, yeah. no, keep going. I don't, I don't. And I don't say, like, you know, like, all therapists are like that. It's just for, from my personal experience, I needed something different that I, I couldn't seem to find. No, that's 
that's definitely valid. And it's really important to look at, you know, different ways people have gotten out of things and different solutions people have found because therapy isn't for everyone or all the therapists in someone's area might not be for everyone and they might need alternate solutions. Mm-hmm. And you're an alternate solution, solution bringer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that's when you turned to just kind of like the personal training and the life coaching um, once the therapy just wasn't doing it for you, which from what you're saying, like that could definitely be frustrating if every time you showed up, it was just kind of like, let's live in the past and then use medication to move forward instead of talking about just natural ways to kind of move forward or coping. Yeah. Coping. Yeah. And you know, I think, I think it, it, it begs to be said too, because I'm, I'm a firm believer, uh, if you've heard the, the phrase, when the teacher is ready, the student will appear. Mm-hmm. And I can, I, I can safely say to you that, especially with my experience in law of attraction and quantum physics, had I been ready for the change, I would have attracted somebody that would have been exactly what I needed to help me get there. But I personally, I just don't, I don't think I was ready to get out of the depression. I wanted somebody to kind of feed me. I, I wanted to, to feed on somebody's sympathy because that was just like mentally where I was at. So having a therapist who kept me where I was at was, I mean, was all I was ready for at the time. I wasn't ready to look at the fact that, that I was responsible for my emotions and I wasn't ready to look at the fact that I was addicted to food and I wasn't ready to, to make those changes. And I, I believe that had I been ready, um, those answers would have come to me. But I don't, I, I, can, I can safely say out of my own integrity, um, and, and understanding that, you know, I am a co-creator in this reality, that I, I just wasn't ready for that, you know? I can honestly completely relate to that because I've shared this story in many iterations, but my first attempt at therapy recently went very poorly, and I didn't feel like I was getting what I wanted out of it. And that's because I, I didn't really know what I wanted out of it. I knew I was suicidal at the time, but I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I, I needed help something in my brain was like hey you need to go to therapy you're you're acting weird but I didn't want to need help I the answers that I was getting I didn't even know what answers I wanted but I knew what I was getting wasn't what I wanted I wasn't really into it I was wasting a lot of time and a lot of money um and I ended up stopping stopping therapy and making a bunch of decisions that kind of were not constructive but those Mm -hmm. decisions led me to realize that this is serious, you need help, like, it, those decisions led me to finally be ready and accepting and, you know, ready to listen to what a counselor had to say, and then when I finally went for my most recent rounds of therapy, which I'm currently in, it was, like, a complete different experience, night and day, because now I'm looking at it, and I'm here to learn, I'm here to, you know, work on myself, so I can definitely see the law of attraction and just, you know, you you attract what you want, and if even if you're going to go to therapy, no one can force someone to get help, and you can't even force yourself to get help if you honestly aren't here for it, if you honestly aren't ready. Um, and if yeah. you're putting that in the world, you're going to get someone who isn't going to help you the way you need it. But the moment you finally admit to yourself, these I might have problems, these are my problems, these are the kind of answers I want, I'm ready for this, you're going to find someone who can help you. Amen to that. One hundred percent. And I just want to know, while you were mm-hmm. going through your 
kind of um, your bouts of depression. What did that look like for you? You know, did that look like missed deadlines? Did that look like sleeping in all day, not paying bills, not talking to anyone, risk-taking activities, talking to too many people? All of the well, all of the above. <laughs> um, I during during that time, during most of that time, um, if I was not in school, because most of it was happening, you know, during elementary and high school. Um, yeah. Once I hit high school, once I hit an age where my mom didn't feel like I needed a babysitter anymore, um, mm-hmm. I pretty much was home all the time, um, unless yeah. you know, unless by some chance I had a friend who would say, "Hey, let's go out." But for the most part, I was home all the time. Um, I would eat uh, to oblivion so that I could pretty much just pass out and sleep all day and all night. Um, at, at the age of 16, I had put on so much weight. I was over 200 pounds. My mom literally said to me, look, I'm not going to sit and watch you eat, eat your life away. Um, you will either go get a job or you'll get an a- extracurricular activity, but you, you need to find something because you're, you're, your, you're going to die if, at the rate you're going. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there would be days where I would, um, I would literally just be crying out of nowhere. Um, I would, she would come home and find me because, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was six. So my mom was all, yeah. my mom worked like three, anywhere between three to five jobs. And so one night she came home and she saw me crying uncontrollably and she's like, are you on drugs? And I was like, no, I'm not on drugs. This is called depression. And she's like, she goes, this is, this is ridiculous. I think you're on drugs. And she took me in the middle of the night to go get uh, tested for drugs because she didn't, she didn't understand the depression. And um, when she realized, obviously, when she got the results back and she realized, like, she apologized and she's like, I just, I don't understand what you're going through. Let's, let's figure out a way to, to, to help you. Um, but I just, I would never do my homework. I would wait until the absolute last minute. I would just basically skate by in life. Um, I couldn't, I just didn't, I never felt um, safe or I never felt comfortable in my own skin. Like it could be um, 110 degrees outside and I would have the baggiest sweatshirts and big jeans to cover up my body because I just didn't ever want to be seen. Um, I just, I didn't, I I would flake on things. Um, I would have opportunities come to me and I would have people who believed in me, who saw my potential. um, And I would literally just find a way in some way, shape, or form, because I was, I'm a powerful co-creator. I'm a par- powerful manifester. And as soon as that opportunity would come to me in, in the back of my mind, I'd be like, oh, you know what? I'll probably be sick by that point. So, you know, um, that'll give me some way out. And sure as hell, like two, three days before I would have to show up, all of a sudden I'd get a wicked sinus infection or crazy bronchitis, and then I would have my excuse to get out. So I would literally make myself sick. Um, I had complete control of, 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 my, of my illnesses at the time. And so it was really easy for me to use being sick as an excuse. Um, and so that was pretty much the course of my life. Um, I didn't, I, I wouldn't give myself permission to succeed at all um, because in my, in my mind and, and in my belief systems, I just wasn't worthy of the greatness that people held me up to. And I know you were talking about just, a, a couple of the things that you were working with, and we touched we touched on a few of them, but I know you mentioned um, fibro, fibromyalgia, and mm-hmm. that's a chronic condition, if I'm correct. I think. Well, and do you? I find, mean, they say it's chronic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's what my question was. Do you do you find that that's also been alleviated with it has. everything else you've been yeah. experiencing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My um, my doctor, when I was 20, I was 22, I think I was 22, I got um, my holistic doctor actually uh, was testing me, and she goes, have you ever had mono? And I said, no, why? And she goes, because you've got all the symptoms of Epstein-Barr. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Great, that explains a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And what I was real, what I started realizing was, and and this this happened because I started studying and digging deep into like comparative religions and spirituality, and then more into quantum physics. I was understanding that fibromyalgia is is a symptom of holding back emotions, and mm-hmm. it was a self loathing, self as you said, self deprecating issue. So I was beating myself up internally. I was judging myself and criticizing myself, and I had so much negativity that my physical body could not handle the emotional toxicity of my own thoughts. And for those of you guys who are listening to this, go check out the the water experiment on YouTube by Dr. Masaharo Emoto. He actually showed that the intention that you place onto water will affect the, the water molecules when looked under a microscope. And this is what I was doing, and this is what I started realizing was every single Every single issue that I had that was quote-unquote chronic was self-inflicted because of all the Mm -hmm. negativity that I had, um, my body just literally just started breaking down. It just couldn't handle it anymore. So when I started resolving all those things uh, emotionally, the physical symptoms started to dissipate because I was no longer holding on to those negative intentions about how horrible I thought I was. Mm -hmm. All righty. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you just for the listeners, I guess, in keeping mm-hmm. in mind, I, I'm pretty sure the majority of whom are, you know, struggling with something or trying to figure out if they're struggling with mm-hmm. something or being educated on someone they know who's struggling with something. I guess what would be a, a life advice or a life tip that you'd give for that kind of demographic? Well, there's a couple things that come up. Um, Number one Mm -hmm. is being a martyr does not help anyone. Most people who Mm -hmm. struggle with with depression, fibromyalgia, Epstein-Barr, things like that, any sort of autoimmune issues, tend to be martyrs in my experience. So they will sacrifice everything that makes them happy, healthy, and whole. Oh, and include lupus in that one, too, because I've got got family and also friends who who have battled with lupus. you sacrificing what makes you happy, healthy, and whole to please other people is not going to help you or them. In fact, it enables them to continue to mooch off of you and feed off of you, but it never actually teaches them how to feed themselves. So being mm-hmm. a martyr is actually holding you back and it holds them back. And eventually when we are martyrs, we're looking for other people to validate our self-worth because Mm -hmm. we're doing, doing, doing for everybody else, waiting for them to say, oh, thank you so much, you did a good job, but we never get enough of it to believe it in ourselves. So so first of all, being a martyr is holding you back and it's keeping you sick. Number two, extreme self-care, and I mean that in the most extreme way. From the start of the day to the end of the day, you have to learn to love yourself. If, if mm-hmm. you can wake up first thing in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and you can say, I love you, thank you, while looking at yourself in the, like, look yourself in the eyes every single morning and do that, 
and then go to bed at night and say three things that you're thankful for at the end of the night. Look at yourself, like actually visually look at yourself. Because what happens is when we get sick, whether it be emotional or physical, we have disconnected from that self-love. We've disconnected from our true potential. And so when Mm -hmm. we can start to practice self-care in the form of love, self-love, it completely changes how we view ourselves and it completely changes our confidence in how we show up into the world. And we learn by loving ourselves how to say no to things that are not supportive of our growth and of our upliftment. Mm-hmm. That's, those are some really good points. And definitely about the um, self-affirmations and um, needing to just give yourself credit and loving yourself mm-hmm. and accepting the things that you're good at is very important yeah. to mm-hmm. recovery and growth, especially if you have a lot of negative voices in your head that are telling you you can't. Um, yeah. Sometimes you need to try and separate yourself from that voice and battle it by saying that you can. Mm-hmm. And Alita, yeah. aside from um, Anchor, where your station name is Alita McDaniel, where mm-hmm. else can people find you? Well, I'm on Facebook. Um, I've got a bunch of business pages, but um, but I would recommend that you just follow me. It's facebook.com forward slash Alita McDaniel. Just follow me there. Um, I post a ton of content there. I actually do uh, Thursday morning master classes uh, every Thursday morning Pacific Standard Time at 10 a.m. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Alita McDaniel. Uh, I've got multiple Twitter accounts, but that's my main one. I'm also on uh, Instagram. I've got a bunch of accounts there, but you can find me. Goddess Intelligence is my main one. Um, I'm also on Snapchat, uh, Alita McDaniel as well. And, uh, yeah, so I'm pretty much uh, on, the, on all the main social media platforms. Alrighty, and thank you so much for spending time with me and Absolutely. just broadening thank you so much. No problem and broadening the perspective and contributing to the conversation about A life but B mental health. Totally. And, and if anybody, you know, past this conversation has more questions or they want to dig deeper into this, um, you know, if you're listening on Anchor, feel free to call into my station. Let's let's explore more of this topic and in anything that I've learned along the way, I would be happy to share all of those nuggets of wisdom. Like that is what my life has been devoted to for the last 13 years. Um, and so I'm, I'm more than willing and more than happy to continue to just give everything that I've learned along the way, because I feel like this conversation is never going to be big enough uh, until every single person on the planet has overcome it. Oh gosh, no, I wish you could surmise just all the everything to do and not to do in definitions and, you know, all the answers in one conversation and in one episode or one podcast or interview. Um, but yes, any listeners, definitely download the Anchor app, definitely connect with me, definitely connect with Alita and the people that we connect with because everyone that she and I connect with also has a goal of helping others, whether it has to do with mental health or just lifestyle or some other area. Um, our corner of Anchor is just really big on giving back and helping the community. So thank you again for joining me. And you have a great rest of your night, Alita. Thanks, and you as well. We'll talk soon.